Welcome to Consilience, an African science podcast, brought to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Consilience is a weekly podcast dedicated to promoting reason, skepticism, and a scientific worldview in Africa and beyond. Welcome to Consilience. Today is November 14th, 2012, and I'm Owen Swart. Joining me today are Patrick Till. Hi, guys. All right. Well, let's get started with teaching Angela to appreciate history. And uh, in this segment, every week, one of us uh, gets... Uh, gets the opportunity to try and teach our fellow podcaster Angela about the wonders and interesting things that happened in history. And uh, this week the honor falls to me. And on this day, that's November 14th, in 1765 was the birth of Robert Fulton Jr., who was an American inventor. So tell us, what did he invent? All kinds of things. I'm glad you asked that, actually. Uh, He invented, uh, he's he's most well known for inventing the first commercially viable steam-powered boat. You say commercially viable. Were there things before that, steamboats? Yes, they were. They were. In fact, he, he based his design almost completely on an existing design that, that had been around for a couple of decades. But uh, there were problems with that pre-existing design in that, uh, in that it, required, it just cost too much to manufacture and to maintain. So it was never viable. But he was able to streamline those processes and, and turn it into a natural product. And, and not only that, he uh, has another notable achievement in that he was commissioned by Napoleon Bonaparte to build the the, or the arguably the first practical submarine known as the Nautilus. The Nautilus, where do I know that name from? I don't know, Patrick, you tell me. Um, I think an author, Jules Verne, didn't he write it in one of his books or something? Uh, I believe he may have. Now, speaking of writers, um, Herman Melville, do you know that he had his uh, famous book, uh, Moby Dick, was published in America today, back in 1851? I was not aware of that. Oh, well, there you go. Sorry, what were we talking about again? We were talking about Star Trek, First Contact. Uh, yeah. Shiny. <laughs> yes, uh, and um, of course, uh, Robert Fulton Jr.'s um, third noted invention is that he designed uh, naval torpedoes for the British Royal Navy, which was pretty awesome. I, I had no idea that torpedoes would, had been around for that long, but they have been. Presumably, yeah, I guess. Or hamster powered, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, either one. But yeah, so that was pretty cool. All right, then, shall we move on to a new segment? Patrick, why don't you tell us about this? Uh, yes, I've got, got a lovely new idea, which is going, probably going to crash and burn like most of my wonderful ideas. I thought I'd just read a few headlines out of, well, out of the internet. In the internet, That's, that is a good place to find headlines. Yeah, some of them might even be true. Okay, our first headline, new brain gene gives us edge over apes, well, study suggests. That's convenient, because uh, the apes were catching up, you know. They figured out pointed sticks and all kinds of shit. Catching up. Uh-huh. Oh, I thought they were already there. They were closing the gap. Okay. Next headline. Uh, please amputate this leg. It's not mine. Apparently, this guy here, he doesn't like his leg and would like to get rid of it. Now, I've, I've heard of that. It's it's um, it's a kind of body dysmorphia, isn't it? It's something along those lines, yes. Hectic. It seems as though there's sort of two groups of people in this um area. Mm-hmm. There's those that want to get rid of legs and those people that want to see people with less limbs. So like an amputee fetish. That's it, yes. I worked with a guy like that once. Should have seen his porn collection. <laughs> oh, here's I did. One. I did. He showed it to me. <laughs> okay, here's an interesting one. The smarter, safer, stronger, far-out materials of the future. This is some articles written by the, ooh, by some magazine. Um, 
In popular science, they're talking about all the different materials of the future, things like, for example, Batman's cape. Oh, here's an interesting headline. Carbon emissions make satellites move faster. Oh, right, like a, like a differential heating effect. Yeah. It's okay. Actually, no, from here, what I'm seeing here is when you think about CO2 emissions from the use of fossil fuels, you probably think about climate change, temperature, mm-hmm. maybe precise patterns, storms, blah, blah, blah. But here, damn, that's the end of my article. Jump it. <laughs> <laughs> no, speaking of satellites, Russia loses contact with satellites. Space Again. station. Oh, with the space station. <laughs> that's dodgy. They could always just Skype them. I mean, they have internet up there. The ingredient in diarrhea medicine leads to sustainable new farm fertilizer. (laughs) 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 Sounds crap to me. Uh, (laughs) Poo jokes. Awesome. Way to raise the bar. (laughs) Great whales not evolved from Mega Shark? They didn't evolve from the Mega Shark. Yeah, apparently, when they were trying to design the Mega Shark, they used the great white whale's jaws. To try and get an idea and description Wait, of it. Great white whale, great white shark. Great white shark. Oh, okay, that makes it a little better. Yeah, yeah. it's right, right. So one's a little bit toothless, another's toothy. Oh, right. Okay. So anyway, they, just, they were dealing with these uh, mega sharks, megalodon. Megalodon, yeah. Megalodon. And they wanted to try and, I don't know, describe it. Mm-hmm. And part of the description they were using is the jawbones of the great white shark. Mm-hmm. Because it had a similar size, it had jagged teeth and so forth. Right, right. But apparently, they then somehow inferred that maybe the megalodon came from the Great White, but it appears mm-hmm. it didn't. Oh. Huh. So maybe using the teeth as a model was a bad idea. So they were just completely wrong about that. Well, that sucks. I mean, there, there are several like dodgy, low-budget CGI documentaries on the Discovery Channel that are going to have to be remade now. Maybe they can be moved to the History Channel. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. A Curacy Rover Chemistry Lab takes first taste of Mars soil. Taste. That sounds sexy. Taste. Let's see what it says down here. Curiosity's huge robotic arm dropped a pinch of red planet dirt into the rover's sample and list at Mars Instrument. Hey, look at this. This is brilliant. Apparently, they might find carbon, and carbon is some of the building blocks of life. Hey, we almost found life on Mars. Excellent. And, oh, here we go. Solar energy conversion and storage breakthrough. New way to spill water split. Solar energy conversion and storage breakthrough. New way to split water molecules. Okay. Breakthrough. Right. Okay. Breakthrough. Oh, I see the advantage of split them into hydrogen and oxygen. Yes, yeah, and then you can store them. So that gives us some energy release there. Oh, here's a bizarre one. Radioactive tea leaves near government's nears. <coughs> Radioactive tea leaves near government safety limit found over a thousand kilo- kilometers from Fukushima. Fukushima? Fukushima. Fukushima. Oh, okay. And that's enough of these articles. Awesome. Well, um, before we move on to the news, I've just got one little update. I, I got a message from our friend uh, Leo Igwe the other day, and uh, he had some exciting news that he has been appointed as a JREF Fellow. That's a fellow of the James Randi Educational Foundation. Now, for for our, our new listeners, Leo Igwe is um, he's studying. He's from Nigeria originally, and, and he's currently studying. Leo is uh, has been involved. He's an activist against. Um, uh, claims of uh, witchcraft, witchcraft, particularly in Nigeria, but around Africa, because uh, you know, obviously it's an issue that we've covered on the on the podcast before. He's he's busy doing a, a research uh, in, a, in at a university in Germany about uh, about exactly that, about the social impact of, of what this uh, uh, witchcraft accusations has. And uh, yeah, so now he's been appointed as as a fellow of the JREF, uh, where he's going to be contributing to contributing his research there as well he's also going to be kind of responsible i guess for for skepticism in africa he's just written a book about it as well i believe i think it's called skeptical africa and um yeah it's uh it's all very exciting and uh it's good news for him and if you remember the last two weeks i've been on the 
podcast, we were discussing witchcraft in Africa and how many people are actually still being killed, being burned yes. as witches. Yeah. And it's a, it's a major pain. <laughs> as witches. <laughs> yes, yeah. And th- that's exactly the thing that Leo, uh, Leo deals with. And, uh, he's, uh, he's very involved with that. And, and we try to cover, uh, cover it from our end as well. So, yeah, good news for him. Good news for us. Good news for Africa, I guess. Well, it's very important that we have people there doing that sort of fight. All right. Well, shall we move on to our discussion topic? Okay. Um, today I thought I'd try something different mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Gee, I'm trying a lot of different things today. Yeah. One of them is going to have to crash and burn if the last one didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought we got a, there's a lovely article written by Sean Carroll called mm-hmm. Top 10 Higgs Boson Facts. Nice. And, and something are absolutely amazing. Okay. And I'm sure Owen will post a link in the show notes. I will. Uh, it's from one of the blogs, uh, Discovery Magazine's blogs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm just going to read a few articles off, well, shall I say a few sections out of it. Nice. Everything here is important. We know some of the importance of the Higgs boson, but I was wondering, What's, what can we learn as skeptics from some of these articles here? Mm-hmm. Um, so the first fact here, it's not the God particle. It's sure. not? Wait, what? It's not the God particle. But I thought it was the, why did they call it the God particle then? Exactly. That's true. Yeah. Uh, as Lederman and his co-author Dictor Teresi, Sure, they've got some amazing names here. Explained in their first chapter of the book, the publishers wouldn't let us call it the goddamn particle. But that might have been more appropriate. Yeah. And just for the the skeptical thought behind that idea, mm. um, how does the media change the scientific discoveries from something important to, well, something very weird, just mm. through the usage of the headlines? Right, right. I've noticed a lot of the headlines, they, they have these amazing things. Scientists discover Harry Potter's invisibility cloak. Yeah. Um, when you look into it, they've just discovered a material that works in certain infrared lights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's invisible to, for objects that are smaller than one micron at infrared wavelengths. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, not quite a cloaking device. Okay. Um, our next fact here, which is also interesting, Nobel Prizes are coming, but we don't know to whom. Okay. Um, basically, this little section here is discussing all the people that led up to the discovery of the Higgs boson. Oh, yeah. We've got Philip Anderson, right. Francis Engelbert, Robert Brout, who's now deceased. Mm-hmm. Uh, two articles by Peter Higgs. Right. Uh, one by Gerald Gronlinek, mm-hmm. Richard Hagen, Tom Kibble. There's a whole bunch of people here. Of course. Both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. We always forget the second part of that. And I suppose it also again highlights, we've, again, the media people love their superstars, their, yeah. their heroes, and mm-hmm. people forget that science isn't just one superman doing something. There's a lot of people uh, building up. It's not a single eureka moment. It's mm-hmm. a one step, one moment. Everyone's always standing on the shoulders of giants. Right, right. So that's something that's worth thinking about as mm-hmm. well as you go through this. We've probably discovered the Higgs, but we're not really completely sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, basically, again, um, you'll notice here they've, they've done experiments. They've mm. nine point something. They've got a 4.9 yeah. something on some other scale. They're almost sure. Five nines. Yeah. Five sigma. Five it's about sigma, as sure as you're going to get. Yeah. As sure as you get. Yeah. But again, it, it shows you that we aren't starting with the conclusion. We don't have a solution. Cool. Yeah, exactly. We, have, we uh, gather observations. We build theories. And on top of those theories, we. Uh, test the theories. A lot of scientists come together and they test these things. Yeah, indeed. And if if some other uh, hypothesis were to come along and we were able able to verify that within six sigma, 
certainty, then uh, the Higgs boson idea would go away. And that is science. Indeed. All right, next little uh, fact here. The Large Hadron Collider is outrageously impressive. Uh, it gives us a whole bunch of facts about how big this thing is. Yeah. It takes protons, 100 trillion at a time, and accelerates them to 99.9999% the speed of light. Nice. And then smashes them together. Awesome. Uh, tells you how big these things are. It's 100 meters underground, and it costs thousands, millions, billions of uh, dollars and yes. rands and yes. whatever else funny money they use up there in France, Switzerland. Yeah, yeah exactly. About as much as a couple of the American fighter jets. Well, one. Well, so, isn't so, something like that, one or two. Yeah. Doesn't one of their fighter jets cost something like $2.5 billion? No, I think that was the, the, the stealth bomber, I think, was $2.5 billion. $2. Yeah, well, I suppose okay, what this is showing us, or shows me anyway, mm. is that uh, things cost money. That's true. Lots and lots of money. Yeah, indeed. And it's sometimes going to take many, many, many years to get somewhere. Okay, here's another little fact. The LHC was never going to destroy the world. Yeah, well, it's funny that. Funny, funny that they would build a machine that wasn't going to destroy the world. Who would have thought it? Why would anyone have thought it was going to destroy the world in the first place? Now, they were afraid that it would create microscopic black holes, but of course, you know, the, the very theory that, that suspected that it might create microscopic black holes also shows that those black holes would, would vanish out of existence almost instantly. So, do you think that people were wrong to think about it in the f to fear such a thing? Yes. Really? Why? I, thought, it be, I would have thought it would be natural to fear things, to be scared of things. Isn't that what kept our ancestors it around? Is, it, well, it, it, is, it is natural, but that doesn't mean you're not still wrong. Yes. <laughs> well, I think the, 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 what this shows us is that your first instincts may actually be to worry about these things, to be scared about things. Mm. Um, look both ways before you cross the road. Uh, watch out for that tiger in the bush. Uh, be scared of the little black holes that are going to eat up the earth. Mm. But once you had your fear, once you realize it wasn't ba uh, based in anything, go back, look at the science, listen to the experts, study it yourself, find out the truth, and go forward from there. Yeah, indeed. So, again, something that happened in the Large Hydrogen Collider that had a natural process, mm -hmm. but people have to change and go forward. Yeah. Okay, uh, fact number six. The Higgs boson isn't really all that important. Um. Yeah, that's that's kind of true. The, the boson itself isn't really all that important. The, the Higgs mechanism is the important part. I mean, the, the boson helps us understand things and, and figure out how, how it all works. But uh, we needed to find the boson in order to confirm the Higgs effect. And what is the Higgs effect? That is the thing with the skiing. Yeah. When you're skiing and then with the snow. I suppose it's a bit like uh, quantum mechanics. Um, oh, and <laughs> and of course, the theory of relativity. Yeah, um, also just a theory. Gravity, also just a theory. Yeah, it doesn't really mean much to me. Yeah. Of course, then without those, I wouldn't have cell phones, and my GPS wouldn't work. It would probably dump me in the ocean. Well, <laughs> well you do I have an iPhone. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes it's just too easy, isn't it? It is. It is like shooting fish in a barrel. Okay, we're going moving on to fact number seven. The Higgs mechanism makes the universe interesting. If it weren't for the Higgs field, there's elementary particles of nature that, like electrons and quarks, would be all massless. That's right. That's true. All right. And uh, my takeaway thing is there are things. And behind the things are more things. And behind the things are more things and more things. Just because we don't know something does not make it magic. We just need to take a more time and look deeper. Okay. Moving on to our next fact. Eight. Your own mass doesn't come from Higgs. Um. That's true. It doesn't. 
goodness gracious me, the more I thought I knew, the less I seemed to have known. I know, right? It's, uh, there's, there's the media in action. Yeah, well, it's the God particle. It moves in mysterious way. <laughs> God damn particle. <laughs> Sometimes some ideas, th- uh, thought games, mind games, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, they're trying to help us uh, understand some of the very big and very small. Mm-hmm. Sometimes these parables are not the story, but they just use as illustrations, but yeah. somehow they seem to become the story. Yeah, exactly. And uh, often when that happens, uh, the, 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 uh, the story comes out wrong. Yeah. That's unfortunate. I mean, that's what science is, right? Science is, is uh, it's a series of metaphors. It's trying to trying to explain the world around us in a way that we can understand. That's all science is. Yes, very much so. And on to our last two facts, and I don't know if I can really survive another blow, but maybe we've got some good news. Fact number nine, there will be no jetpacks. What? Bullshit. What's the point of having a Higgs boson if we don't have fucking jetpacks? What a load of crap. Yeah, it looks like I see what yeah. People sometimes think that since the Higgs has something to do with mass, it's somehow connected to gravity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's not it's not connected to gravity exactly, but uh, understanding mass better will probably help us understand gravity better. I mean that's kind of like the next step the, the next step. Now that we found the Higgs boson, the graviton is next. Yes, very much so. Um but then I suppose it's all just a series of invention. I mean, why research things it's not really going to tell us anything until the next research well once we have the graviton then it's easy then we've got artificial gravity we've got warp drives we've got all that shit ah there's the star that, trek that's the one we're looking for, for it, yeah. that's the one we're looking for and our last fact is the easy part is over yeah no 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 uh, no 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 now's the hard part <laughs> finding the higgs was the easy part okay let me just quickly read this exactly here or try to read it without stumbling the discovery of the Higgs completes the standard model. The laws of the physics underlying everyday life are completely understood. Mm. That is pretty impressive. It is a project that we have, as a species, have been working towards for the last 2,500 2, years. Yeah, since, uh, since the Ionians kind of initiated the, you know, the endeavor of science. Um, so that means there's no more mysteries out there. Yeah. And we, all the scientists can just pack up and go home. Yeah, nothing more to learn, nothing more to, no need to learn anything. Awesome, excellent. Everybody can just relax now. Well, actually, there's a lot of stuff still out there, tons and tons and tons of stuff. But I think um, not knowing everything is all right. Yeah, I think I can live with that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, uh, well, I, I learned some, well, depressing facts, but very important facts. Very important. And we just skipped over there. We just read the headlines of each effect, but it's well worth going and look at that article. So it delves a lot deeper into uh, the facts. I've noticed we discussed a bit of Einstein's theories of mm-hmm. relativity and E equals MC squared. Right. And there's a lot more people that were involved in it that I didn't cover here. Yeah. Uh, I suppose you're wondering now, listeners, why I actually raised these story, my thoughts behind these stories. And the same with the news headlines before. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually... What gets me is you read these headlines and there are stories behind it. And it's amazing how many stories, I don't want to say get twisted, but get uh, misunderstood or have to be changed in order to make it readable and so yeah, forth. Yeah. So we must yeah. just keep on delving deeper and deeper and try and find the stories behind. You know, they get dumbed down and watered down and misinterpreted by people who don't know what they're talking about and that kind of thing. You know, uh, it's the thing. I mean, that we, we cover that all the time really on the show is, is just how, how poorly the mainstream media 
translates complicated scientific topics into something that they think the, the audience will understand, but in fact they haven't understood it themselves. Well, I think one of the th reasons, the, the, the things behind it, appears to be that there seems to be less and less actual science uh, journalists out there. Yeah, yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean, j journalism or, or the news media, as we know it, is kind of going through a bit of a crisis at the moment, and, and they can't afford to, to keep dedicated science correspondents on staff. So they've had to to fire the science people and then hand it over to you know sports journalists and those sorts of people to, to try and make sense of science because you know for how important can it be anyway? But then that that's the importance of of things like this, like this podcast and, and bloggers and people like that, who people who are passionate about science, people who are interested in, and maybe understand it a bit better than the than the layperson. And it's up to us and uh, and other bloggers, people like mm. Full Plate in particular, PZ Myers, those sorts of guys, to to distill these complicated ideas in, into something that uh, hopefully makes sense. Yeah, I think I suppose the best way is find the best science bloggers out there. Don't just read one. Don't just believe yeah. one. Yeah. Um, very often I've seen all of these ones, uh, as you said, full plate. Um, they all every now and again have to post a retraction. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But I think the more information you get in, the more you read behind it, mm -hmm. the maybe the better chance we have. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Don't limit yourself to one source. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Well, that was our discussion topic for this week. Let's move on to the news. All right. Well, uh, our first news story is uh, is a local one, and um, it's uh, it's about a, a local man named Mark Wilby. What does he do? He is a film producer. Oh, he makes him. He made a new, good, decent South African movie. He kind of did actually, um, but this movie is not like a normal movie that that you might see at the cinema. This is a, a, a an internet movie. It's a movie on the internet. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Movies on the internet. What wow. will they think of next? Uh, anyway, so, so uh, what Mark Wilby is about, he's, he's gotten uh, involved in, and stuck his nose into the, uh, the Save the Rhino campaign. Uh, stuck his nose in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, indeed. Yeah. All right, so, so uh, listeners to the show will, will remember that we've spoken about this a few times, that there's a, a growing problem in South Africa that uh, rhinos in general, and the white rhino in particular, is being poached for its horn, which is being sold overseas in, in China in particular, as a remedy for various different things. Um, and of course, it's illegal to hunt uh, rhinos, so they have to be poached. And um, it's got the problem has gotten so out of hand that uh, the, the existence of, of wild rhinos is is starting to become threatened. So this is a problem. But uh, Mark Wilby has has made a uh, a video in which he firstly he points out that uh, human fingernails and toenails are made of the same stuff as rhino horn, which uh, is which is keratin. Oh, that's the same thing. And uh, what he does is he beseeches his uh, his audience to uh, to clip your toenails and fingernails and send the clippings to the Chinese embassy in Pretoria. That sounds brilliant. Uh, will it be postage paid? Um, I don't believe so. No, I think you'll you'll have to front front the cash for the the postage. But uh, you know what? It's probably worth it. Ah, oh, yes, definitely. So yeah, so that's uh, obviously it's it's just a stunt, but uh, we, you know it's it's not really that far from the truth. If if a rhino horn really does work for something, it doesn't. But if it did, then there's no reason why human toenails and fingernails couldn't do the exact same job. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree. I suppose it all comes down to uh, sympathetic magic. That's the thing. This yeah. rhino horn's horn story is sympathetic magic. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that every time you look at the. Uh, so, so, so called science yeah. like um, homeopathy, yeah. uh, rhino horns, uh, chiropractic, you delve a bit into it, it's just magic. Yeah, it is just magic. And superstition, of course. Yeah, well. yeah, same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a lot of crap. And uh, I, I, I'm interested at, uh, at Mark Wilby's choice of a, of a target for this campaign and getting people to send it to the, the, the Chinese embassy in South Africa. 
uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of forced to wonder what it, what impact the Chinese embassy or the Chinese government would have on this kind of thing, given that it's a black market trade. I mean, it's not exactly legitimate um, trade. Uh, it's an interesting choice. I, I don't really understand it, but it's, uh, yeah, sure, as a publicity stunt, why not? Well, I suppose it also raises the question, is the, what is the cause? Is the cause Rana Horn, or is it actually a, a deeper cause, like the traditional medicine? Why are they so interested in traditional medicines mm. as opposed to science-based medicine? Well, look, tr traditional Chinese medicine is an issue. You know, it's, uh, we, we, spoke, we covered that on the show a few times as well. And, uh, but, but what's interesting about Rana Horn is that just in the last few years, like since 2008, there's been a, a significant uptick in the amount of, of Rana Horn poaching going on in South Africa. Because, of course, most of the world's rhinos live here in South Africa. Um, so, so whatever it is that's happened, it, it's something recent. You know, I mean, the, the, the rhino horn thing was always there. We, we've kind of known about it for a long time. But it's, it's become increasingly popular, and there's, there's clearly a much, a much greater demand now than there has been before. Well, it's definitely true. Um, I don't have the stats right in front of me at the moment, but I do know this year we've already gone over last year's uh, rhino deaths, rhino cullings. Yes. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, according to, to rhinoconservation.org, I, I think there's the, the average is now about two rhinos being killed in South Africa a day. Oh, no, um, yeah, and we don't really have that many to spare, you know, guys? Knock it off. Yeah. And of course, what, what complicates it even further is that the, the South African government has, has kind of nixed the idea that we would set up a legitimate rhino horn uh, trade, because it is, of course, possible to remove a horn from a rhino without killing it. You just knock it out, you saw the horn off, it, it's completely painless for the rhino, and then you, you sell the horn. But, um, and this worked. I mean, in the 80s, this was done to, to try and preserve um, elephant populations. So that there was a legitimate trade for, for, uh, for ivory by doing the same kind of thing. You, you would detusk your, your, the elephants and then sell the ivory on, on the, the white market, as it were. Um, but so far, uh, the government has resisted any efforts to do the same thing with rhinos. Any idea why? Um, I, I'm not really clear on the, on the reasons. No, it doesn't kind of make sense to me. So, guys, don't use rhino horn. Yeah. Get those pretty little blue pills. Yeah, knock it off. And you know what? Just if you if you feel like you really need some rhino horn, just chew your fingernails. It's cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, so that's an interesting campaign from Mark Wilby, and uh, I'll be, be keeping an eye on that one to see how well he does. Uh, is there a website or something you can follow from that? Um, oh, there, there is a link in the uh, in the show notes to the the Reuters article, which links to the, the YouTube video of the film itself. Um, probably the best place to go to would be rhinoconservation.org. Okay, great. All the stuff, all the relevant information is there. All right, from rhinos on the plains of Africa to 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 other people on the plains of Africa. So, so a more or less ancestral species to modern humans. Uh, Autopithecus ramidus is known to have subsisted almost exclusively on fruits and insects when it was alive about roughly four and a half million years ago. And uh, more recent ev uh, evidence, dating to about two, 2.8 million years ago, suggested that, uh, that later uh, hominin species subsisted mostly on grass. So, so at some point in that, in that gap, the 4.4 million years to 2.8 million years, somewhere in there, the, the early humans kind of switched from eating fruits and insects into eating grass. And, um, but now a new study by Julia Lee Thorpe and her colleagues from the University of Oxford, they, uh, they performed an analysis on carbon isotopes in the remains of a, uh, Australopithecus barrel gazali, which was, uh, these remains were found in, in, Lake, in the Lake Chad area. And, uh, they were alive around three and a half million years ago. And, uh, and what they found was that those remains contained significant quantities of an isotope of carbon 13. So that's, uh, that's a carbon atom with an atomic weight of 13, which is uh, fairly heavy for carbon. And um, 
and that is typical of animals that uh, eat a lot of grass. Um, any idea why they would want to s- switch to grass, or why do they prefer grass? Well, the, the leading hypothesis, as far as I can tell, is that um, th- there was a significant amount of, of climate change, relatively slow climate change in, in Africa over, over the, uh, the millennia. Uh, and, uh, and our ancestors kind of had to move from living in, in, in forested environments. We, we had these, these forests that were becoming smaller and smaller into little clumps of forest, and they kind of had to move and, and adapt to living in open grasslands. Um, which is pretty much what you see around here today, uh, sort of large areas of grass punctuated by little bits of foresty bits here and there. Now, if, if our ancestors could live in the open grasslands, they didn't have to restrict themselves to just the foresty bits. I suppose it would also assist them in moving from one place to another. They'll have something to eat instead of having to have to take their food with them. Apparently, fridges and uh, uh, cold cases weren't around in those days. Yeah, yeah, they, had, they hadn't invented freezers yet. And, uh, you know... Um, yeah, you know, cooler bags, that that kind of thing. They, they hadn't quite come up with that, and uh, yeah, that's exactly it. If they could, if they could live off the grasslands, then they could take as much time as they needed to, moving from one foresty bit to the next. Do you think they could live exclusively in the grasslands? Uh, it seems like they probably could have. Yeah, it's okay, probably indefinitely. Uh, although, just because we found the the carbon thirteen deposits in them, it, that doesn't exclusively, uh, conclusively prove that they they did subsist on grass. What it, it just means that they, they ate those kinds of plants. It, what it could mean is that they were eating tubers and roots, um, which uh, is the same kind of plant, but it doesn't mean that they're eating grass. You know, they weren't eating uh, sort of wild wheat or anything like that. Okay. Um, was it just this one area in Chad, or do you think they're going to look in other areas to see what they can find? I, I expect they'll, ex- they'll extend their, uh, their, their research to other areas, but so far that's, uh, this is the only place they found it, at least f- f- uh, for that early, okay. 3.5 million years. Yeah, so that's interesting. A little bit, uh, relatively minor, but still interesting uh, expansion to the well, picture. I, I suppose um, the other thing is we've always had discussion: why did as well, as start walking upright instead of on our all four legs? Yeah, and uh, a lot of them were also talking about coming down from the trees, mm-hmm. having to have to see great distances. So maybe this is another reason, yeah. another piece of the puzzle. Yeah, part of that same adaptation, yeah, most likely. Yeah. Oh. And we have an, uh, I've got another story here also about humans, but uh, this is a different uh, different aspect of humans. Um, this one is looking specifically at modern humans, uh, which are pretty cool. We, we might have some uh, some experience about modern humans. And the headline I put about put on this one is um, exposure to oxytocin causes partnered men to back away from other hot chicks. Ah, good because it leaves somebody for me if it lasts. Oh, indeed. So this is a sexy story, which is pretty cool. So so uh, our listeners may have heard of oxytocin which is also known as the attachment hormone. And it's, uh, it's strongly correlated with states of, of strong human bonding, both in romantic sexual relationships and also in, in parental relationships. So there's been a new study published in the Journal of Neuroscience that has examined how exposure to, exposure to oxytocin affects partnered men, that's men who are in an established romantic or sexual relationship with a woman. The study was, was published by Rene Hurleman and colleagues from the University of Bonn in Germany. And uh, what they did was they lined up four groups of men. Some of them, those men were partnered, some were single, and then they exposed them either to uh, either to oxytocin, they, they were given a whiff of oxytocin, or they were given a whiff of a placebo that smelled kind of like oxytocin. Uh, any idea how big this um, group of men were? No, I don't know how big that was. Um, it was not in the abstract, which is the only part available for free. And I am not a subscriber to the Journal of, uh, of Neuroscience. So if any listeners would like to sponsor us a, a subscription to the Journal of Neuroscience, I'd love to answer that question. Right, so um, so what happened was, what were the results? 
um, the three of the four groups reported no change. Oh, oh sorry. So, so after they were given a, a, a whiff of oxytocin or of a placebo, uh, before and after, they, the men were asked to rate how far they would like to stand from an attractive woman in uh, who is not their partner during an ordinary social interaction. So, so you, uh, they would ask them before, and they'd say, you know, okay, so here's this attractive lady. How far would you be comfortable standing from her during a social interaction? Then they'd have a whiff, then they'd ask them the same question again. And um, sounds a little little bit subjective sort of like guessing how would you like to stay how close would you like to stand i would have preferred to have actually seen them dumping the men in a room with women and see how close they really got they may have done that uh, the uh, the abstract didn't go into detail about their their uh, their methodology but um yeah sure but, but the the interesting part however was that um of the four groups the only part uh, the the before and after three groups got, got pretty much the exact same results their, their, their distance didn't change but of the four groups, one group did change, and that was the group that is partnered and got actual oxytocin and not placebo. And what they found there was that their desired distance after they'd gotten the whiff of oxytocin increased substantially. So they wanted to be further away from the hot chick. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> 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 I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> well, uh, what, what this suggests, though, is that uh, ladies, if you're wondering... If you're worried about your man uh, being uh, being hit on by that skank down at the office, all you have to do is, is give her a, give him a good solid hug before he leaves leaves for work in the morning, and uh, odds are he'll want to keep his distance. So the oxytocin is naturally produced uh, as well. It is, yeah. And oxytocin is. Uh, I'm actually going to cover this a little later, but oxytocin is awesome, and it's pretty easy to get a rush of oxytocin. You you could kind of get it by by uh, by hugging somebody, by lying next to them, by just shaking hands with somebody, you get a little bit of oxytocin, and of course you get a lot of oxytocin from things like childbirth and of course sex. I'll skip the childbirth. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, you can stick to the rest of them. But yeah, oxytocin is relatively easy to come by, and uh, and apparently it's uh, it's a good tool to uh, to help you hang on to your man. Of course, this this research needs to be replicated in women, and it wouldn't be surprising if there are similar similar results. But so far, it's only been performed in men. Um. Did, did they perhaps uh, do checks maybe over how long people were in a relationship? Maybe the longer they're in a relationship, the less... Uh, they didn't seem to have correlated for that. I said controlled for that. Uh, I'd be interested to see more more research. Yeah. Definitely more research needed there. And, and it would also be interesting to see uh, people who have a history of cheating in relationships and how that, that, that affects their result in this. Yeah, it would be interesting. Or perhaps on, alternatively... Um, Test the the uh, partner in those relationships where the people cheat and mm. see are they producing enough uh, oxytocin and mm. so forth. Mm. Indeed, maybe that's it—the uh, lack of producing at all. Yeah, could produce be. enough or something. Yeah, indeed, that'd be interesting. Yeah. So yeah, fascinating line of research. Okay, so anyone who wants a hug, I'm here. Let's test this out. You can uh, look him up on the uh, the comments board of the podcast, and I will send you his phone number. Yeah, no, I'll give it to you now. It's 08. <laughs> no, it's all right. Uh, yeah, it's fine. I'll put it in the show notes. Ah. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Well, shall we have our sci-fi fantasy quote of the week? Patrick, have you got one for us? I've got one for you. Yes. Uh, this one comes uh, from Douglas Adams. Mm -hmm. uh, it's from Chapter 1 from The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, published in 1980. Nice. The story so far. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's true. Quite right. Awesome. Good luck with Adams. Do we have any announcements? We have several announcements. Uh, our first announcement announcement relates to our listeners in Durban. 
and that is for skeptics in the pub and if you're listening to this on the night that it comes out then it's tonight and you're probably already late so run don't walk run to Pizzetta. you're expected to be there at six o'clock and that's on thursday the 15th of november and listeners i've learned when they say six o'clock they probably mean earlier yeah that's true yeah that's the thing with skeptics and geeks uh, we usually get there early um, and of course, in Durban, everybody finishes work early anyway, because what's there to do in Durban anyway? Yeah. Right? Am I right? Am I right? All right. We, our second announcement comes from Pretoria, and that is also Skeptics in the Pub, and that's coming up on this Saturday, the 17th of November. And that's going to be at 12.30, and, and last I checked, the venue hasn't been decided yet, but uh, you can head over to Facebook and let your opinion be heard. And what about Joburg? Anything in Joey's? We do have some stuff in Joburg. We've got uh, our Skeptics in the Park, which is coming up this Sunday, the 18th of November. And it's going to be at 1 o'clock at the usual spot in the, the Johannesburg Botanical Garden in Emmerincha. It's actually quite a magical spot there, ladies and gentlemen. You just go along and have a uh, look. It's like an invisible line. On one side mm. of this magical invisible line, there's lots of dogs. On the other side, there's nothing. That's true. Well, actually, there are plenty of dogs on both sides of the line. But uh, if you're on one side of the invisible line, people will shout at you for having dogs. And on the other side, they won't, which is quite magical, really. But uh, on, uh, seriously, folks, you must come along. These uh, skeptics in the park are brilliant. It's a lot more relaxed. We just lie around, have a picnic, chat, walk our dogs, yeah. and just enjoy the sun. Fly a kite. And uh, I'm trying to get everybody to bring their LARP weapons along so we can have mock battles. LARP? What's a LARP? A LARP is a live-action role-play. And uh, I know a couple of us in the group have, have gotten some LARP weapons, which are, are kind of foam-covered weapons, like swords and axes and stuff. And if we can get some mock battles going, that would be a lot of fun. Are they sharp? No, they're not sharp. Can you sharpen them? No, no, you uh, can't. Okay. No. Well, you could try, but it wouldn't succeed. And uh, also in Joburg, coming up this following week is Rumble in the Pub, and that's uh, every second week. And the next one is going to be on Thursday, the 22nd of November at 6.30. The, the venue has been to be advised uh, just head over to the Facebook group it'll probably be at uh, the Premier PRT in Rosebank but uh, let, just uh, be sure to keep an eye on Facebook to confirm that oh and let's uh, just break for a second here mm. uh, Rumble in the pub what exactly is a rumble I often hear you advertise mm. it I've heard it on Primordial Soup but nobody's really told me what exactly is a rumble so so rumble in the pub is kind of an offshoot of, of from skeptics in the pub um, got many of the same sorts of people many of the same people who come to skeptics in the pub also come to rumble but it's kind of a, a formal debate club, I suppose you could call it, where, where every at every Rumble there's a, a topic or two topics that are decided ahead of time. And you sort of you show up at the Rumble with your your, uh, your your opinions on the matter in your head. And um, and then there's kind of a, a game format where everybody's issued a card. Everybody's given the opportunity to make an opening statement of a minute or so. Then uh, you all put your card in the bowl to, to indicate who's next to speak. Everybody gets a, ch a chance to, to say their piece without being interrupted. You finish off with a closing statement and then uh, you have a break and, and have some pizza and have something to drink and have fun with people in, in the pub. Sounds interesting. Oh, it is interesting. It's a lot of fun. It's it's kind of, to, to describe it, it's somewhere halfway between skeptics in the pub and a kind of a pub quiz. But there's no winner. I mean, no, nobody is, is declared the, the winner of Rumble in the pub. It's really just a chance to, to air your views and, and explore some interesting topics with some uh, some smart people. It's good fun. Okay, and that's this th uh, next Thursday. Yes, it'll be next Thursday, most likely a premium in, in Rosebank. But um, yeah, the, the Joburg Rumble is every second Tuesday. There's uh, There are Rumbles in other places. There's one in Sweden, and there's also one uh, in Durban. But, uh, we'll announce them once uh, once I see the next one come up. 
Excellent. I suppose that's well, that's Johannesburg, Pretoria, Durban, Sweden. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's everywhere that's important. Indeed, we, we also got a, a mail from someone in London who's looking to get a, a rumble started up there as well. That would be interesting. So, uh, yeah, rumble in the pub might well catch on like skeptics in the pub did. Took a while for skeptics to, to catch on. I mean, it took, it's taken years to get to where it is now, but uh, it's pretty popular, and I suspect Rumble might do the same. Great. And how about the West Strand? Is there anything decent happening there? Uh, yes, there is. There is a skeptics in the pub in the West Strand. The West Strand, of course, is Western Joburg, and uh, it's going to be on Wednesday, the 21st of November at 7 o'clock, and that's going to be at the Green and Gold Pub in Rudaput, just off the 14th Avenue off-ramp. Excellent. All right. Well, Patrick, have you got a link of the week for us? I had, but I've lost it. Oh, wait, here we go. We're back again. My link of the week is the religion of peace. Um, on this website, it's got a whole lot of sections, but basically it's a group of people put together a whole bunch of Islamic f- facts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying facts. I'm not talking about what's the opinion of the Quran or how they do They basically said these are people who self-identify themselves as Islamic uh, f- followers mm-hmm. and what have they done and there's a list down here at the bottom a list of islamic terror attacks for the past 30 days mm. and holy mackerel there's a lot here already oh, crap. when i say the lot i'm talking i think well over 100 plus here wow. it basically gives you the date it happened the country it happened the city how many were killed and how many were injured and a little description of what happened um now I don't want to be seen as somebody who's bashing a religion necessary. Um, everyone's got their own choice to believe in things and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most important thing is informed consent. If this is what you want to follow, do you actually even know what you're following? Right, uh, right. Today in South Africa, for example, we've got some very cool Islamic followers here. I mean, sure. uh, we have some, uh, most of them are from the, the Indian uh, heritage, but mm-hmm. there's a few others, and some mooses, and they hang out at parties and enjoy it. They have their special food, but other than that, they're great. Mm. But one mustn't forget, on this side, what's the other side? What's right. going on there? Mm-hmm. Um, there's more than just the people you know down the road. And it's yeah. good to remind yourself of all that. Yeah, don't buy the marketing. Just because somebody says it's the religion of peace doesn't make that true. Correct. Okay, so let me just quickly give that website again, www.thereligionofpeace.com. All right, and Owen, um, do you have something interesting to give us, some sort of link of the week? I do have a link of the week, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, I've, I've, I've been uh, doing a bit of reading about oxytocin this week. It's, it's my, my new favorite molecule. And uh, yeah, so, we're, it's, uh, so my link is, is to an article on io9.com. You may have come across io9 before. And the article is entitled, 10 Reasons Why Oxytocin is the Most Amazing Molecule in the World. And uh, it goes into considerable detail with lots of links uh, about why oxytocin is so amazing and how you can get some. And it's easier to get than you'd think. Get some. Get. How to get some. Yeah, well, you can. And if you read the article, you'll find out how. Marvelous. Awesome. Well, Patrick, where can people find you on the internet? I can be found in all the good social media sites out there. Right, that good one. Yes, yes, including uh, Google and Facebook. No, 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 no. I thought you said Twitter the good ones. And no, just the, there's only the one good one, and then there's several others that are not good, but are still there. Yeah, they're out there. Uh, anyway, my username is the Mist nineteen seventy one. That's T H E M Y S T one nine seven one. Nice. Friend me, and I'll probably friend you back. Wow, you're, you're that easy, are you? Oh, yes. Nice. All right. And you can find all of my stuff in Google. Just go to the Google and type in Owen Swart, and it's all there. 
Marvelous. I know, right? That's how good it is. Um, because Google is awesome. And um, that is all we have for you this week. Thanks to my co-host and to you, the listeners. Be sure to join us again next week for more Consilience. to Consilience. Our website is conciliancecast.wordpress.com and you can send us an email to conciliancecast at gmail.com. Theme music is The Optimist by Zoe Keating from freemusicarchive.org.